Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, and verses 1 through 10. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross, and uh, together we are looking at Jesus' final steps uh, leading to the cross of Calvary. Uh, So far, we've looked at Jesus' anointing at Bethany, uh, his last supper with the disciples, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. Last week, uh, we looked at Peter's three denials of Christ in the courtyard. And today, we come to Jesus' sentencing and Judas' actions after betraying him. So in Matthew 27, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 10, but uh, to get started, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at Judas's story today and, and uh, we study the way various people have responded to the sin in their lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, speak to our hearts, and teach us. Help us to reflect on on how we try to deal with the the sin in our lives and perhaps to learn the, the wrong way to do that and hopefully, Lord, to learn the right way. And so we open our hearts to you and to your spirit. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Although all 12 disciples abandoned Jesus the night he was arrested, the Bible highlights two disciples in particular, Peter and Judas. And there's a reason their two stories are told one right after the other uh, by Matthew in his gospel. It's because we are meant to see their stories together and to learn from their different outcomes. Last week, we, with Peter, we saw that denial of Jesus leads to bitter regret. This week, with Judas, we learned that sorrow for sin, without repentance and faith, leads to unbearable remorse and eventual death. And we're, we're going to come back to Peter's story at the end of the message today, but, but first we need to look more closely at Judas. We looked at Peter very closely last week. Today we look at Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders by leading them to Jesus' location in the garden, by identifying him with a kiss. And he did it all for 30 pieces of silver, which sounds like a whole lot, but folks, it really wasn't that much. That was basically the cost of an injured slave. And what did Judas' betrayal of Jesus gain for him in the end? Well, that's what we're going to find out uh, as we go through our passage 
uh, today. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out and, and follow along. We'll help you as we work our way through the message today. First, though, we return to Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin where he is condemned to death. Where he is condemned to death. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me now. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And so after a full night of deliberations, which uh, as we saw previously in our message series, uh, these deliberations were marked by illegal proceedings, right? False witnesses and distorted testimony. The Jewish leaders officially decide to put Jesus to death. Now, they'd already decided this the night before. Remember, this was a trial with a predetermined outcome. But now they've gathered the full Sanhedrin together in the morning, and they make their decision official. Now, of course, as we learned, they do not have the authority under Roman law to put Jesus to death. So now they hand him over to Pilate for his final sentencing. And this is yet another event that Jesus prophesied earlier uh, when he told his disciples uh, that the chief priests and teachers of the law would condemn him to death. Okay, check. That one happened, right? And that they would then turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Check. They send him off to Pilate. Matthew tells us that they bound him and led him away. And I want you to picture here a, a prisoner exchange in the movies. You've probably seen a scene like this many times in the movies where the, they, they bring the prisoner out and he's wearing leg chains and he's handcuffed. Maybe he's got a, a straitjacket. They lead him down a long hallway and they open the doors and they have the sunrise and there's a vehicle waiting there uh, to, to whisk him away. Now take that same picture. And make that person Jesus. Jesus, bound and led away. And you get an idea of the injustice of this situation. Folks, this is so bad that even Judas can see how wrong this is. And when Judas sees that Jesus is condemned, he is filled with remorse. He is filled with remorse. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me now. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. And you might wonder, well, why was Judas suddenly filled with remorse? Well, I think, I think it was building for him. You know, perhaps Jesus calling him friend in the garden when Judas came to betray him. Friend, what have you, you know, do what you've come for. Or Judas asking him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? 
And now seeing Jesus condemned to death and bound and being led away, something breaks in Judas. It's weighing on his conscience. And he is filled with remorse. And and now in the space of a few verses, Matthew traces his downfall for us. First, we see Judas returns the money. He brings it back. But you know what? You cannot undo your own sin. Behold the sad, sad story of Judas. He never even got to enjoy the money he received for betraying Jesus. And isn't that the way sin always is? It promises you so much, but it never delivers. August Van Ren comments, in reality, Judas did not sell the Lord for those 30 pieces of silver. He sold them for nothing, for he returned the money. Yea, he really sold himself for nothing into eternal perdition. That is all any soul will ever get for the rejection of the Lord Jesus. Nothing here and eternal doom hereafter. Judas, who had been greedy for money, now throws the money away. All the things that you valued more than God in this life will someday be shown to be worthless when compared with God who alone is worthy of your worship. Judas returns the money. Next, he confesses his sin to the priests. Right? He says, I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood. And notice his words. He says, I have sinned. Now, at least this part is good. Judas is doing good here, right? He doesn't say, you know what? I made a mistake. I messed up. No, he says, I have sinned. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't blame anyone else. He makes a full confession of his sin. Notice also how Judas testifies that Jesus was innocent of wrongdoing. Now, usually, right, when new evidence comes up, it is entered into the record. That's the way it works. But the priests want nothing to do with Judas or his testimony. They simply dismiss it. And why is that? Because it would have destroyed their case. That's why they want a death penalty for Jesus. They go, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. Well, it was their responsibility too, right? They're the ones who gave Judas the money to begin with. They are just as guilty as Judas here, but their hearts are hardened against God while Judas's heart is bleeding with remorse. And then notice that they have no concern for Judas here at all. And this is doubly wrong, because who are they? They're priests, okay? And what do priests do? They help people with their sins. They got one job, okay? One job. But they show no concern for Judas or his sin. They used him to get to Jesus. And now that they have no further use for him, they simply discard him. Judas comes to them confessing his sin. 
Instead of bringing him in and offering the sacrifices as God had commanded, they say, that's your responsibility. Or literally, the original language says, Judas, you take care of it. That's what that means. You take care of it. And I would say, no, a thousand times, no, that is horrible counsel. Because you cannot take care of your own sin. Psalm 49 says this, no man can redeem the life of another. Or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. We can't pay for someone else's sin because we can't even pay for our own sin. Judas confesses his sins to the priests, but they can't help him. Because only Jesus can forgive your sins. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, verses 5 and 6. There is one God... And one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. See, you can't take care of your own sin. You can only bring it to Jesus. Trying to take care of yourself like Judas only leads to despair. And so Judas, consumed by his guilt, what does he do? He hangs himself in despair. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Jesus told the people earlier, uh, John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, Judas, he did the right thing in returning the money, right? You should always return anything that you've obtained through sinful or wrongful means. So he did the right thing by returning the money. He did the right thing in confessing his sin. But you see, he did not take that final step of believing in Jesus. And the irony here is that Judas' betrayal sent Jesus to his death, which alone could pay for Judas's sin. But Judas refused to repent and believe. And so instead of Jesus dying for his sin, Judas dies in his own sins. He began the process of repenting, but he never completed the process by putting his trust and faith in Jesus. I like the way uh, Douglas Sean O'Donnell explains this. Uh, he writes, this is real good. I, I, I like it. He writes this. He says, perhaps the famous repentance train analogy will help. I remember reading that. I go, I don't know what the famous repentance train analogy is. Maybe you do. Apparently it's famous. We should all know it. Well, now we will know it because we're going to hear it. Perhaps the famous repentance train analogy will help. By acknowledging his sin and seeking to make amends, Judas got off the train that was going the wrong way. But that was all he did. He next needed to get on another train going the right way. That right way was back to Jesus for forgiveness. He went to the chief priests in the temple but not to the true high priest who is the temple. 
Judas should have gone to Jesus who is sympathetic to our weaknesses and ready to forgive all our transgressions. He should have run to the tree of Calvary for life. Instead, he ran to another tree for death. It is instructive to look at Peter in contrast to Judas here. Remember, Peter also sinned greatly against Jesus. But Peter found forgiveness and restoration because he repented and believed. Matthew tells us Peter went outside and wept bitterly, but Judas went away and hanged himself. The wages of sin is death, and without Jesus, you will die in your sins. Now, it's also instructive to look at the chief priests in contrast to Judas. Unlike Judas, who is filled with remorse for his sin, the chief priests, they're blind to their sin. They're blind to their own sin. So back to Matthew 27 now, uh, verses 6 through 8, we read, The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. So follow, follow this through with me now. The chief priests pick up the money that Judas threw into the temple, and they have this discussion. What do we do with it? It's against our law to put it uh, into the treasury. So what do they do? They decide to buy a field with it instead. Now notice a couple things here. They know it's blood money, right? They know that. They know that this is the money that was used to betray an innocent man to death. They know that they've sent Jesus away to Pilate under false pretenses. But all they can think about is, what do we do with the money? You know, they didn't mind taking it out of the treasury to pay for Jesus' betrayal. But they're worried about putting it back into the treasury now that Jesus has been condemned. They are more concerned about the lawful use of the money than they are about their unlawful trial of Jesus. They are blind to their own sin. So they take the money, they, they, use, they buy this potter's field, they say, we use this as a burial place for foreigners. The money was unclean, right? It's blood money. Graveyards, burial places were considered unclean. Foreigners were considered unclean. So in their mind, it all makes sense. They use unclean money to buy an unclean place for unclean people to be buried. And Matthew tells us this field became known as the field of blood. What a name, huh? The field of blood. From this time on, this field will now be associated with violent death. And whether Matthew's talking about Jesus' death or or Judas' death or perhaps both, that's what this field will be known for. G. Campbell Morgan comments, How often men attempt to cleanse money by putting it to charitable uses. Mark the irony of the whole situation, how the people named the thing correctly even when the priests tried to hide it. The priests said, A field to bury strangers in. The people said, The field of blood. Thus, all unintentionally, they sent down through all the years the right naming of the thing they had done 
the field of blood. By their actions, the chief priests also unwittingly fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me now. Matthew writes, Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. And Matthew here, he quotes from a combination of passages, uh, some from uh, the Old Testament book of Zechariah, some from Jeremiah, who he mentions here. And these passages together specify five prophecies that are being fulfilled here. First of all, the 30 coins of silver. How specific is that? That this money was the price set for God's servant. That the money would be thrown into the temple. That the money would be somehow associated with a potter and that the money would be used to buy a field. And Matthew recognizes that all of these things that are committed here by Judas and the chief priests, all of these things were previously written down in Scripture centuries before they happened. The chief priests, in their actions, unwittingly fulfill Old Testament prophecy. As we close out the message, I want us to to take a little bit of time here and take a closer look now at how the chief priests, okay, and then Judas, and then Peter, how each of them responded after they sinned, right? All three sinned, we know that. All three stood in need of forgiveness, but all three responded in different ways. And when we look at their three responses, we learn something for ourselves, because, folks, it's basically just three ways that people deal with their sin. Every one of us here falls into one of the three categories we're about to look at. Only three ways people deal with their sin. Which one are you? Let's take a look at it. The first way people deal with their sin is illustrated for us by the chief priests. We ignore it, and we face God's judgment. See, so many people deal with their sin by not dealing with it at all. (laughs) They, They spend their lives minimizing their sin, justifying their actions, shifting the blame to others, and generally avoiding responsibility. But here's the thing. Just because you ignore your sin does not mean that God does. And ignoring your sin is only postponing the inevitable. When you ignore your sin, you don't deal with it at all, and you will eventually face God's judgment. The second way people deal with their sin is illustrated for us by Judas. We are troubled by it and consumed by guilt. In this case, we know we've sinned. And we we try to make things right ourselves. And like Judas, we, we do our best to make amends. But what did we learn earlier? You cannot undo your own sin. Like Judas, we admit that we're wrong, but we do not fully repent of our sin by putting our faith in Jesus. You know, we only go halfway. We, we get off the train, going the wrong way. Okay, that's good, but we've got to get on the other train, the train that brings us to salvation. 
We're not blind to our sin like the chief priest, but we're not forgiven either. So we're troubled by our sin, and we are consumed by guilt. That's the second way. And then the third way people deal with their sin is illustrated for us by Peter. We repent of our sin, and we receive forgiveness in life. We talked about Peter last week. I doubt you have ever failed Jesus as badly as Peter did. I doubt you ever will fail Jesus as badly as Peter did. And so you can take heart this morning because Jesus restored Peter to fellowship and service and he will do the same for you. You see, the difference between Peter and Judas is laid out for us in the New Testament in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 10, which tells us this, godly sorrow, that's Peter, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. The difference between Peter and Judas, it is the difference between life-giving repentance and death producing remorse. Worldly sorrow brings death. That's what happened to Judas. And that is exactly what will happen to anyone who does not come to Jesus. Because once again, only Jesus can forgive your sins. And unless you bring your sin and your guilt to Jesus, you too will be consumed by guilt. And you too will eventually Die in your sins because the wages of sin is death. And so that's the lesson of Judas for us today. Sorrow for sin without repentance and faith in Jesus leads to unbearable remorse and eventual death. You know, Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he took it to God in prayer. Peter was overwhelmed with sorrow after denying Jesus. And he took it to Jesus in repentance and faith. Judas was overwhelmed with sorrow after betraying Jesus. And he took it with him to the grave and to eternity. Jesus died to take the penalty of your sins for you. So don't be like the chief priests and ignore your sin. Don't be like Judas and die in your sin. Instead, like Peter, give your sin to Jesus so that you may find forgiveness in life in Christ. Come to Jesus who shed innocent blood for you. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Christ and live. Let us pray. Father, we are sorry for this account that we read today, but we thank you for recording it for us in your scriptures that we could learn from Judas's example how not to deal with our sins. Lord, how sad 
that the price has been paid, that forgiveness is available, that life is offered, and people turn the other way. Or perhaps they go halfway. They, they get off the train. They're sorry for their sin, but Lord, they, they don't get on the next train, the train of faith and belief and personal trust in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you offer us freely through your death for us. Jesus, you died for our sins so that we would not have to die in our sins. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted you for salvation, that today would be the day that they would come to you and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've, I, I, I understand the wages of sin is death. I don't want to die in my sins. Lord, I come to you. I come to you, trusting in you that you died for my sins. Be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, that they would pray that prayer today, right here, right now, and receive the forgiveness of sins that only you can give. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.